Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Well, I wonder what came into your mind as we, we talked about that question. And I wonder what, uh, how it compared to what we just heard uh, of the Spirit's work as John read those those glorious words for us. Uh, perhaps when you think of the Holy Spirit, you think, uh, mainly think of guidance of the Holy Spirit uh, giving you direction in some specific area of, of life. And God's Spirit wonderfully does do that in, in situations for us. Uh, or maybe you mostly think of, of worship, uh, of spiritual worship, of spiritual gifts uh, that God's Spirit gives uh, to the church. And again, he does that, and that's glorious. But it's, it's striking. I wonder if you noticed as we read that chapter, this is one of the, the most sustained kind of uh, explorations of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in the whole of the Bible. And neither of those things come through. We don't get guidance. We don't get worship. Not that those things aren't important. They're crucially important that the Holy Spirit enables them. But they're not there in this chapter. And I think that's uh, so that we our, our, our horizons about who the Spirit is and what he can do in our lives grows. And that's one of my prayers for us this evening, that our appreciation of the Spirit's work will grow and that we'll delight in him more. We'll see two glorious things that the Holy Spirit does from these words, from this next part of Romans chapter 8. First, we're going to see the, the Spirit assures us of our identity as children of God. And then we're going to see that he helps us to wait expectantly, to wait eagerly for our future, our future inheritance. So first, the Spirit assures us of our identity as children of God. I'm getting that from verses 14 to 16. Do have those still open in front of you and and, uh, follow with me as I read verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So Paul's saying here that one of the things that the Spirit does is to reassure believers that they are truly God's children. Genuine Christian believers, Paul is saying, are those who've received the Holy Spirit, verse 15. And that begs an obvious question for each one of us. How do I know if I've received the Holy Spirit? Well, one way you and I can know that, uh, we began to think about this a bit last week, um, is we can know that we're children of God, we've received the Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit. Just look with me at verses 13, just the first, just before what we read, uh, verses 13 and 14 together. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God 
are the children of God. Now, verse 13 is describing the the battle in the Christian life for holiness. It's saying that those who who live according to the flesh, uh, only according to what they want, their desires, they'll die. That's shorthand for, for not be with God forever. But those who live according to the Spirit will live. So either you're living for yourself or you're in Christ and you're living for God. And if by the Spirit, living for God, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And then notice that verse is connected to verse 14. So verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For, verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. If you see those verses, two verses together, in other words, to be led by the Spirit, that means to be battling for holiness. So one way that you can know if you have the Spirit, one way you can know if you're a child of God, a believer, is whether you experience this battle for holiness. Now, that's actually really encouraging if you think about it. Because maybe you came to this service uh, feeling kind of weighed down by guilt. Or maybe that's quite often how you feel. Frankly, that's often how I feel. And maybe there are things that you just, you keep on doing, you keep on thinking or saying, which you wish you wouldn't. It feels like a battle to keep on striving to be like Jesus. And if that describes the experience of your life in, in any way, your spiritual life, that is actually good news. It's a good indication that you have God's spirit, that you receive God's spirit, that you are indeed a child of God. That's because people who, who don't have the spirit don't experience this battle. But those who are God's children, they do. So if you feel right now in the midst of a kind of battle, it feels hard to, to strive to be like Jesus. You don't actually need to lose heart. That's not a bad sign. That's a good sign. Don't lose heart and don't give up. That's the normal experience of a Christian. So that's one way in which the Spirit helps us, uh, assures us that we're God's children when we experience this battle in our lives for holiness. Here's another way the Spirit assures us uh, of who we are as God's children. He enables us to relate to God as our Father. The Spirit enables us to relate to God as our Father. Look with me at verses 15 and 16. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Notice in verse 15, it is by him, by the Holy Spirit, that we cry, Abba, Father. What that means is it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to relate to God as our Father. So, anytime we have a feeling of of peace, a feeling of assurance, a feeling of being loved by our Heavenly Father, anytime we experience that joy, that peace, that satisfaction, that love from God as his children, it's because the Holy Spirit is doing that in us. Verse 16, the, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit reassures us. He, he reassures our spirits, our inner selves, that we are God's children. So whenever we feel that joy, peace, that love, anything that comes from our relationship with God as our Father, that's because the Holy Spirit is doing that in us. And that means that our feelings are really important in the Christian life. Now, I want to be careful here that the ultimate measure of 
whether or not we, we have, we're a Christian is not our feelings. Uh, our acceptance by God the Father, it doesn't depend on how we feel any one day. Uh, it's the sacrifice of Jesus, his death and resurrection for us. That's what secures our acceptance with God. So our faith doesn't ultimately depend on our feelings, but God, God does use our feelings. And he uses them to reassure us that we're his children. Now, I think that means that if you, if you never feel any of those things I mentioned, kind of peace or, or joy or assurance or satisfaction in God, if you never have any experiences of relating to God as, as a father, that might suggest that you're not truly his child. Uh, again, don't mishear me. I'm not saying we're basing all of our, our faith on our experience. We're basing it on Jesus' sacrifice. But if you never have this sense of, of God being your father, of, of the joy of being able to relate to him as a father, it might be that you've not taken that step of, of, welcoming, him, of welcoming him into your life, of being welcomed into his family. And if you think that might describe you, I would love to speak to you. I know John would, anyone on the team, uh, to help you think through how you could start this relationship with God as Father. So the Spirit enables us to, to enjoy our relationship with God as Father. And what does it look like? What, is, what does that kind of look like to relate to God as Father? Well, notice what Paul says. He, he says the relationship of a Christian with their Heavenly Father, it's so different to what it would be like if, if God related to us as a judge. So just look again at verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. See what that's saying? Christians don't relate to God as a judge, but as a father. We can have the next slide on the screen, please, Ian. I imagine you had, uh, you'd committed a crime. You know what you'd done wrong. Uh, you're found guilty. Uh, and you come to the point of the sentencing hearing, uh, and you're there, you're, you're, you're asked to stand as you wait for the judge. They're, they're reading out their, their, their sentence. Uh, you're waiting for them to, to pass judgment. Imagine standing there uh, in front of the judge. They're summing up their arguments. You're waiting for that moment. How long are they going to send you down for? Just imagine the fear, the, the anguish going on in your mind as you stand waiting. Now, in the presence of a completely holy God, you and I deserve to, to stand before him as judge, for him to pass sentence on our lives. But that's not what happens for the Christian. For the Christian, Jesus took the punishment that we deserved on himself on the cross. And so now if we've trusted in Jesus, we relate to God, not as a judge, uh, but as a father. And if we can have the next slide on the screen, as John was saying earlier, the experience of the Christian is that God has run towards us, arms outstretched, and he throws his arms around us as a father. A father who embraces us, a father who loves us. So much he sent his son for us. A father who wants us to experience the joy, uh, the peace, the freedom that comes from his tender, loving care. Now, some of us will have had a little picture of this in our own family relationships, uh, experiencing uh, loving, committed, caring fathers, fathers who are there for us. But I'm conscious for others, maybe our fathers were distant. Maybe our father was demanding. 
Perhaps even your father was abusive. And it might be a struggle for you to, to think of God as your father. I just want you to notice how different he is as a father from, from what you might have experienced. He's not like a demanding judge. He's not a taskmaster. No, verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. When we relate to God, we're not relating to him as, as it were, slaves of, of a harsh taskmaster. No, that is not what God is like. He's our Father. We relate to him as our Father, not as judge, but as, as Father. And perhaps this evening is a fresh opportunity to enjoy this reality in your life. That's why later on we're going to sing, From my mother's womb you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood throws through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear, as if God was a judge in our life. No, I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. So that's the first thing we see about the Spirit's work this evening. The Spirit assures us of our identity. Children of God, precious, deeply loved children of a heavenly Father. Here's the second thing we see here. It's that the Spirit helps us to wait expectantly for our inheritance. He helps us to wait expectantly for our inheritance. Do look with me again as I read from verse 17 onwards. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We've seen that the Spirit assures us, reminds us of our identity as children of God. And now we see uh, that there's this glorious reality that comes about because we're God's children. Verse 17, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs. With Christ. Paul's saying God's children are also his heirs. Uh, he's talking about adoption. I remember Paul is writing to the Romans. Uh, he himself was a Roman citizen, and so he was familiar with the, the practice of adoption in Roman society. Basically, what happened was uh, that a wealthy citizen who had no heir uh, in, for their estate uh, would adopt someone as his child. And this is what would happen to the man who was adopted. Uh, by virtue of his adoption, that man would have all of his debts paid off. Uh, he'd take on the name of the one who adopted him. And he'd become the heir to the whole of his estate. 
And that's the picture Paul is using here. He says, God's children are his heirs. That they've been adopted, verse 15, as his sons. Now, this doesn't come through in our pew Bibles, but in the original Greek, there are three times in this passage that that we're called, Christians are called God's sons. Uh, That comes in verses 14, 15, and 19. And then three times we're called God's children, verses 16, 17, and 21. Now, the reason for that is that in Paul's day, the status of being adopted was only given to men. And so what Paul is doing is he's he's speaking to men and women here, speaking to them interchangeably as God's people. And he says, look, your sons and your children. In other words, he's saying that, that for you who are in Christ, men and women, you are equally being given this status of adopted into God's family. Now, that was a hugely countercultural thing in Paul's day to say, when, when, when the rights of adoption would only go to the man, he's saying, no, as God's children, you've received all the rights, all the privileges of being adopted into his family. You enjoy these, these privileges. And that is true for you and for me this evening. If we've trusted in Jesus, we, we enjoy all the privileges of being his adopted children. Now, this is an enormously precious reality, this, this, this idea of being adopted as God's children. And it's so precious that for, for, for loads of Christians across the world, and indeed down the years, uh, it's, it's motivated them to themselves adopt. As those who know that they've been adopted by God, uh, many Christians have responded to that. They've said, I want to adopt a child into my family. I just want to raise that this evening. And plant it with you as something to, to think and to pray about. I don't just mean those of us who are, are younger, maybe who are married couples. There are believers of retirement age who have adopted. Uh, there are single believers who have adopted. And of course, there are couples who have done so. And perhaps that might just be something for you to just to pray about for yourself. Whether in any sense you might feel the Lord prompting you to, to, to at least think about this. We would love to help you think that through as your church family. Please do feel able to, to come and talk to me and to John, and we can point you in the right direction of, of people to go to, to think and th- pray through that further. Wonderful picture of God's adoption of us. And loads of people have taken that on for themselves and said, I want to give a family to someone else. So if we, as we've been seeing, God, God has adopted us into his family. We get the privileges of a relationship with him as our Heavenly Father. And here's another huge blessing that comes with being God's children. We get a heavenly inheritance. A heavenly inheritance. Verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. God's adopted children are his heirs. That means that like those adopted sons in Roman society, we will get the promised inheritance. All of it coming to us. That's what it means for you and I to be heirs of God, that there's this heavenly inheritance waiting for us. Just notice some of the ways it's gloriously described. Verse 18, the glory that will be revealed in us. Verse 21, the freedom and glory of the children of God. Verse 23, our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. That is the inheritance that you and I as children of God are waiting for. Waiting for this glorious time to come when when the creation That creation which has been groaning in brokenness is liberated. When the whole world is remade 
a new heavens and a new earth. A place of freedom, a place, Paul says, of glory. A place in which we will experience the redemption of our bodies. New creation bodies in a new creation world. That is the inheritance that you and I are promised as children of God. But here's the thing. We're not there yet. And these words in Romans 8 are very realistic about that. I wonder if you noticed. They say that we experience a kind of groaning, an inner groaning, a longing within us to be freed from the brokenness of the world, to enter into that inheritance. Verse 23, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship. There's a groaning that goes on uh, as we, we long for that day when we receive this inheritance. And that's where the Spirit comes in for us. Because the Spirit helps us to, to wait for that day, to wait expectantly, to wait patiently for that future, that promised inheritance. It's the Spirit who, who gives us uh, the perspective, the perspective that Paul had in verse 18. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So the Holy Spirit helps us when we're, when we're feeling the brokenness of this world, the, the brokenness of our lives, to know that there's this future inheritance coming. This inheritance that is so glorious that in the light of that inheritance, we will we'll see our sufferings now in their right perspective. If we can have the next slide, please, Ian. When I was in, uh, living in China, when I, when I was growing up, uh, and um, about eight or nine, my older sister and I, we went to swimming classes at swimming lessons, there, it was this Chinese professional, and, um, and he had this big class of us. And one thing that he used to do was to, uh, you probably wouldn't be allowed to do this now, but if you were struggling with the breaststroke technique, uh, he would, he would uh, get you to lie down on the diving board, and he would physically grab your legs and pull them round into the correct, di- uh, the correct position, getting the technique right. And he would always say the same thing, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. And there's a little sense of that here in this passage. Verse 17. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. There is a sense in which, for the Christian, it's no pain, no gain. Before the glory of our future inheritance, there's some suffering. There's some brokenness. All the normal suffering of of life in a broken world and also the suffering that comes with living faithfully uh, for Jesus in sometimes a hostile world. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, that will all be worth it. That will all be worth it when we receive that inheritance. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And verse 25, if we hope for what we do not yet have, We wait for it patiently. There's this sense in which the Spirit is helping us, helping us to keep going, to keep things in perspective, to remember that that we've got this future inheritance, that we don't have to do the Christian life on our own. He's, He's helping us to wait for that day, that inheritance that's coming. So the Spirit assures us of our identity as children of God. The Spirit helps us to wait patiently for our inheritance. As we begin to respond to what we've been hearing, if I can invite the band up.
And we're going to remind ourselves of, of the glorious reality of having God as our Heavenly Father. Here are the words uh, from our next song again. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Hear those words over you this evening. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood throws through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Let's stand together and sing of that glorious reality as his children. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.